If you're looking for ways to prioritize your health and fitness, run more efficiently, understand food, and somehow fit it all into a fun and family-centered life, you're in the right place. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the Real Life Runners podcast. We are your hosts, Angie and Kevin Brown, and this is episode number 23. And today we are talking about a condition that unfortunately tends to plague a lot of runners, and that is shin splints. Plagues a lot of runners and it plagues a lot of new runners. Yes. It's it's the injury that tends to throw people off. They've got the drive, they're like, I'm gonna start running, I'm going for it, and they're a couple weeks in and suddenly shin splints. Yeah. So when most people think about shin splints, they think about pain on the front of the leg in between the knee and the ankle. And it's usually on like the medial aspect of the tibia, okay? So the tibia is your shin bone, and the medial aspect is like the inner um, edge of that bone that's, you know, the edge closer to your other leg. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's that's exactly, like, when I first started running, I'm back in high school, that's exactly where that pain was. And it was, it was like right at the bottom of the shin. I also had it uh, on the inside, but way up towards the top of the shin, mm-hmm. like just a few inches below my knee, clearly still on the shin bone. It wasn't a knee issue, but it was all the way at the top. It doesn't seem to hit the, the middle of the shin. It's like high or low. Yeah, and it does vary depending on who it is and the reason that people or that person is experiencing the shin splints, you know, whether or not it's a foot issue, a footwear issue, or a weakness issue. There's lots of different things that can lead to this condition. Um, so we'll talk about those throughout the episode today as well. Perfect. So the pain in shin splints are usually worse when running or when performing a high-impact activity. So besides runners, the other populations that are typically afflicted with this condition are dancers and people in the military. People in the military? Why? Based off of what? Based on the increase in marching and walking and their their impact boots. Yes. Um, so like military, because they have to walk and march for so long. Yeah, especially if you're not conditioned for it. Right. I mean, the, the military response is, oh, if it hurts, just keep going. Be, be tougher and push through it. And it's like, yeah, but if you're not used to that activity, it's the new activity that tends to mess with it, that tends right. to bring up shin splints. That's why so many people, when they start running or you know, they, they, they do more than they're used to doing, that's what causes the problems. You want to give us the, the big clinical term for shin splints today? Oh, I, I would love to. It's medial tibial stress syndrome. Ooh. Yes. So it's abbreviated MTSS, and that's just basically a, a fancy way of saying that you have pain on the inside of your shin. Yeah, pretty much. So this condition can be caused by a lot of different factors, and and. For the most part, it's basically too much too soon. You know, that's kind of the good way to think about it. Um, and you're it, missing one of the twos. Too much, too fast, too soon. Oh, okay. Well, not not speed too fast, though. Well, no, but if if you go from, 
you know, running three miles a day at a nice, easy jog and suddenly out of nowhere, you try and throw sprinting into it Mm -hmm. with no basis, just out of nowhere, just like, eh, I've decided that I'm just going to sprint on three of my days during Mm -hmm. the week. That's the too fast part. Like, it could be a speed issue. Okay. So shin splints are essentially caused by overtraining usually and they do tend to be more prominent in newer runners because of that sudden in change in high impact activity levels. Um, they can also be caused by increasing your mileage too quickly or improper footwear. Those tend to be the big three that kind of lead people to this kind of condition. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, in in years of selling running shoes, so many people came in and they're like, ah, I don't think these shoes work for me because I've got pain right here at the bottom of my shin on the inside. And it's like, um, how long have you been running for? A month. And how long have you had these shoes for? Oh, oh a month. But you've only run it all for the last last month. This is this is what you should do. They're called shin splints. Your shoes are fine. Well, not necessarily though. Well, I mean, when I was selling shoes, like we were generally putting people into good proper footwear. Mm-hmm. But you're looking at people that had never done any sort of physical activity right. and had now jumped into three, four, five miles a day. Right. Like we were more like, all right, let's take a look at your shoes. But mm-hmm. now, why don't you talk to us about what you've been doing and what were you you doing in the month before that and if you go from zero and suddenly you're just like oh well my friend runs five miles a day i'll run with them that's probably way higher than you should be starting at Right. So basically, back to the anatomy of shin splints, um, there is a covering on the bone called the periosteum. And it's it's a tissue that covers all the bones in our body that basically protects the bone. And it is the most pain-sensitive tissue in the body. Because if you have a broken bone, you need to know about it. You know, it's a pro- protective factor in our human evolution, that there's this super pain-sensitive covering on all of our bones so that if there is a problem with our bones, we know about it very quickly. So there is a little bit of debate of what exactly is shin splints, but most people typically say that it is an inflammation of this periosteal tissue that's covering the bone. And it's usually a result of overworking the weak muscles that that attach to that bone. So it's not actually a problem with the bone itself. It's more uh, an issue with the the outside kind well, of cover. I mean, that's part of the bone, though. So I mean, it, it is. It can be a part of the bone. I mean, you, when you're a clinician trying to figure out what's wrong with someone, you have to kind of differentially diagnose whether or not it's shin splints or if it's actually a stress fracture or something that's going to turn into a stress fracture. That's something that we'll talk about a little bit here down in um, a little bit later, but. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a problem with the bone the or the outer covering of the bone. I mean, it's all kind of one yeah. and the same. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're connected to each other. It's it's tough to say. It's, but the, the thing is, it's not a problem as much. It's not a pain in the muscle. It's not like the, you're going to treat it by dealing with the muscle, but the, the issue itself is more on the bone. When people talk about shin splints, yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, as a clinician, you have to kind of differentiate between shin splints or stress fracture or something else called compartment syndrome. Um, but that's not something that we're really going to get into right no, now. Let's not, let's not go down that, that rabbit hole. No. So, um, like we said, changing the amount of physical activity, that's the number one cause. Um, number two would be flat feet, high arches, like the very rigid arches, um, and just worn out or improper footwear. Those all also put people at higher risk for shin splints. 
Right. So you've got all sorts of ends of the spectrum. So if you've got flat feet, if you look down at your feet and you're the insides, the arch of your feet are just sitting on the floor, that causes issues. But if you're the complete opposite and that arch doesn't flex at all when you take a step, that also causes problems. And they're really the complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Right. Um, they could also come on by, uh, by changing in the running surface. So if you go on, if you're used to running on a softer surface and suddenly you go basically all sidewalks, that's an issue. The opposite is also an issue. If you're used to the smooth, constant surface underneath you of a sidewalk and you flip over and suddenly you're running on the uneven unnaturalness or the more naturalness of grass, but where your, your foot has to actually deal with slight changes underneath it, that causes problems. And then the other one is, is hills. If you, if you go on vacation and you decide to keep running, but your, your, you know, vacation spot suddenly has ups and downs to it, that tends to activate the calves a lot more and that causes the shin splints. Right. And if not addressed, shin splints can progress into a stress fracture of kind of what we were talking about before. And you would need to see a doctor, obviously, to diagnose a stress fracture. But just so that you're aware, a lot of times stress fractures don't show up on x-rays. You know, sometimes I'll have patients come to me or are athletes on, you know, the team and whatnot and they say, oh, I had an x-ray, everything's okay. And, you know, sometimes that's not necessarily the case because sometimes stress fractures, I would say most of the time, they don't actually show up on an x-ray. In most cases, you need either an MRI or a bone scan to see the stress fracture because there's such small cracks in the bone that the x-rays aren't sensitive enough to pick them up. All right, but getting an MRI or a bone scan seems pretty involved. So how do you know that it it's, may have even progressed long enough? Is there is there something that tells you this may have gone beyond shin splints that, I mean, that you need to go to that level? Th- Like we'll always tell you, it's best to go see your physician and let the physician do the diagnosing here. But one thing as a physical therapist, if I suspect a possible stress fracture, I use something like a tuning fork or my ultrasound machine. And if I put the tuning fork right over that specific spot on the bone, people will usually kind of jump out of their skin. Um, And number two is... If it's a stress fracture, it's more common to have localized pain. So if you can point to one spot on your bone where it really hurts, there's a higher chance that that could be a stress fracture. Whereas shin splints tend to be more of a generalized kind of pain up and down the shin bone. It can be localized, you know, so again, that's why you really need a medical practitioner to to give you a definitive diagnosis. Um, But in general, shin splints tend to be a little bit more generalized, whereas a stress fracture tends to be very localized. Yeah, the uh, the guy who teaches in the room next to me was was asking me about shin pain shin pain the other day, and he's the anatomy teacher, so he's got all sorts of stuff, and he's he's asking the question. He goes, "How how do I know if it's taking it this far?" And I I brought up the tuning fork one to him. I'm like, "You got a tuning fork? Um, hold it against your shin, and if you scream like a little girl, that you might be looking at a stress fracture." <laughs> <laughs> but then you would have to have an MRI or a bone scan for a definitive diagnosis. Right. But that's the sign that, Hey, maybe I should go actually pay the money for the, for the bone scan or the MRI. Okay. So let's get into some treatment options here. So if you do find yourself with some, some shin splints or some shin pain, let's talk about kind of the beginning steps. So number one is rest. Uh, You know, all the doctors are going to tell you to rest. This is one of those injuries that you 
can't really train through. Like you can't, because running is the irritating activity. So by continuing to run at the same mileage and at the same intensity, you're not giving the bone time to heal. Right. It's, you have to actually remove the stress, which is really annoying because, you know, for, for a new runner, they're like, they're, they're motivated, they're gung-ho, they're going for it, and suddenly they've got this pain, and the prescription is, well, stop running. Like, but I don't want to stop running. I, I've, I've been going nicely, and I've got this, this thing going, but rest is just about the only thing that's, that's going to fix it. If you keep stressing it day after day, there's other treatments but they're not going to make it go away as long as you keep adding the injury day after day. Right. But but the good news is you can still do low-impact exercises such as swimming, pool running, cycling, elliptical, rowing machines, you know, weight training. You can still do all of those other things as long as, as it's not a high-impact activity like running or jumping. Right. So you – I mean there's so many options that you just – put out right there that are good cardio options. And then once the shin pain starts dying down, gently bring the running back in so that that your muscles are able to slowly adapt to the new, the the new stress onto it. Right. And we're going to get into the return to running portion a little bit here after we go through some of the treatment options. So the second treatment option would be an over-the-counter medication called a an NSAID or a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medication. So examples of this would be Advil or Aleve, um, ibuprofen. These things can help to decrease inflammation in the body and also help with the pain. But again, anytime you want to take a medication, make sure you check with your doctor to make sure it's okay for you, especially if you have any sort of kidney problems. These NSAIDs are typically not recommended for anyone that has kidney issues. So anytime you want to take a medication, please check with your physician first. But that is something that is typically recommended by a lot of orthopedic physicians. I typically shy away from medication and, and try to go the more natural route. But, you know, a lot of doctors will suggest these and uh, as part of the treatment. All right. So let me go go with the, uh, the non-medicated method is uh, put some ice onto it. And you know, and it's it seems like such an easy answer, like oh, it hurts, puts mice onto it. But there's inflammation in the area, and one of your best ways to combat inflammation is the cold. So literally, puts put some ice onto it. Right, and compression can also be very uh, helpful with shin splints. A lot of people find that those compression sleeves or compression socks are super helpful because they kind of just condense everything. They compress everything to help remove some of that excess pressure on the bone. So a lot of people find compression is very helpful with shin splints. All right. So from that, we move on to stretching. Um, Stretching with a key focus on making sure that you are really stretching all of the muscles inside of your calf. So I I know when I... And suggesting to people on how to stretch appropriately. I always want to make sure that you're hitting two of the big major muscles inside of the calves. So if you if you do sort of the classic runner stretch of put your foot up onto a curb or stand on a curb and hang your foot down from it, you got to make sure that you stretch that leg with your knee straight and with your knee bent so that you're getting the the two major muscle systems inside of your calves. Which are? Which are the gastrocnemius and the soleus. Very nice. Yes, nailed it. Nice. So 
along those lines, since we're talking about the calf, calf strengthening exercises are also very important when dealing with shin splints. And like Kevin said, there's two main muscles in the calf. There's the gastrocnemius and there's the soleus. So the our favorite exercise for calf strengthening is what we call eccentric calf lowers. So basically what you do is you go up on your toes, then you lift one leg and you come down very slowly. You lower the heel back down to the ground very slowly. So it should take you one second to go up on your toes and then four seconds to slowly lower back down to the floor. And then as you you could advance that exercise, but that's really one of the best ways to strengthen your calves. And by strengthening your calves, you take the pressure off the front of the leg and you can kind of help to combat the the pain of the shin splints by strengthening your calves. That's also something that we talk about for preventing this injury and, um, you know, especially to stay on that down the road, even after you've rehabbed from the shin splints, those are really great exercises to do to keep your calves strong as a runner. And there's also a couple of drills that I like to put in with all of our new runners of walking on your toes. And because it's walking, it's not quite as, as hard of an impact as, as running, but it still activates those muscles, make sure that they're, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, firing off correctly. So walking on your toes and then walking on your heels so mm-hmm. that the toes don't touch the ground at all. Yeah. And it just helps activate all the, all the muscles in your calves and, and strengthen them up. Absolutely. All right. Um, another one is shoes. Okay. Um, there's two ends on this one. First off, you have to make sure that the shoes you're in are most appropriate for you. And if, if they are good shoes that you've had great success with in the past, make sure that they just don't have so much mileage on them that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing anymore. Absolutely. So typically running shoes last about 300 to 500 miles. So as runners, it's kind of our job to try to keep track of that. And if you don't want to track Every single mile that you run in your shoes, that's okay. But basically what you'll want to do is just kind of estimate your weekly mileage. So say you run three miles three times a week. That's about nine miles, okay? So say 10. Let's just round up. So you run about 10 miles a week. So those shoes should really last you 30 to 50 weeks. So that's a big range. So kind of when you start to get close to that 30-week mark, just kind of start paying attention a little bit more. Are your knees feeling okay? Are your legs feeling okay? You know, are you starting to have like little aches and pains that you weren't having before? Keep an eye on that because it might mean that you need new shoes. It's also got a big range um, that's a, a lot dependent on like the size of the runner and the surface that they're running on. You know, bigger runners tend to wear down their shoes faster. And if you're doing an extensive amount of running on streets or sidewalks, you just burn through the bottom of the shoes a lot quicker. Whereas people that do almost all of their running like on a treadmill, those shoes tend to last on the, the much higher side of that. You're getting a lot closer to five than three on those on those guys. Yeah. Another thing I thought was very important to point out Don't forget about the miles that you wear your shoes outside of running as well. So if you wear your running shoes both both for running and then for just walking around town, picking up the kids, doing your daily activities, do you wear those shoes to work? Like all of those miles count. Running is harder on the shoes than just regular walking. But still, if you're wearing those same pair of shoes all day, every day, 
keep in mind that it's not just the running miles that are putting wear and tear on your shoes. It's also all those other walking miles that you're doing. Oh, yeah. It cuts the, the mileage on your shoes without even knowing it. You're like, oh, no, no. I'm pretty sure I'm only at 200 miles on those. No, no, no. If you're wearing those day in, day out, you're at 400. Plus, by wearing them all day long, you're not giving the shoes any time to sort of spring back to life for your run the next day. Like the foam inside of the shoes literally compresses as you're in them. Like your your body compresses, the foam in the shoes compresses the same way, and it just keeps getting tighter and tighter. And if you take them off at the end of the day, yeah, it has overnight to spring back. But if you give them almost like 24 hours, the foam springs back even more and makes the shoes feel nicer the next day when you go for a run. Nice. That's a, that's a very good thing to point out. So besides shoes, if you're in good shoes for you and you're still having issues, sometimes depending on how your feet are shaped anatomically, some people do need some orthotics. And for most people, the over-the-counter orthotics are just fine. Most people do not need to go get a $400, $500 pair of custom-made orthotics. Most people do very, very well with the or with the um, regular insoles that you can buy at your running the local running store because the technology in those things has become so fantastic that those pre-made inserts serve most people well. I don't know a percentage, but I would say a good at least seventy-five to ninety percent of people can get away with those. Yeah, and if you go to a specialty running store, in all likelihood, they have three or four different brands of these like pre-made orthotics to slide into your foot. Try a few of them in. Figure out which one feels comfortable underneath your foot that's not going to be like, wait, what is this like awkward thing under my foot? Try them. Walk around in the shoes with some orthotics inside of those and, and make sure that it feels comfortable underneath your foot. Right. And most local running shops have a great return policy. So you can try stuff out, whether it's shoes or orthotics. And if it doesn't work for you, usually they'll take them back. Well, yeah, especially the orthotics, because most of the orthotic companies have a great return policy from the specialty shoe store that if you put it into a customer and it doesn't work, they'll take it back. Whereas some of the shoe companies, it's a little tougher. So, you know, the specialty running stores tend to take a hit financially when you bring their shoes back. They want to treat you correctly. So they'll usually allow you to return the the shoes within like, you know, up to 30 days. But they're usually taking a hit on that because they can't do anything with the shoes. Whereas the orthotics, those companies tend to take them back from the store. That's interesting. Yeah. So our final thing for treating shin splints is to work on your soft tissue mobility. So that's the muscle and the fascia and all the things in and around the shins to make sure that everything is kind of loosening up correctly. So great ways that you can do this include massage. You can do self-massage or have someone like your wonderful husband massage your calves for you. You can do foam rolling. You can use the stick, like those rollout sticks. If you don't have one of those rollout sticks, you can just use a regular rolling pin like a like that you use to roll out dough. You can use a rolling pin on your calves. You can use any like various shapes and sizes of balls including lacrosse balls, softballs, golf balls, tennis balls, and you can use those to kind of get in and release some of the trigger points in those muscles and tissues. Yeah, if you've got like a small little trigger point you're going for, then a golf ball is the way to go. But if you're but trying that to That hurts too. Golf oh, balls I know. hurt. That's the thing. The, the smaller the ball, the more it's going to hurt. Just yes. keep that in mind. Yes, yeah, start with a softball because that it's got it's got a lot more space. It's got less curve in that one individual spot. So it's much more of a flat surface pushing into your calf. It's more like rolling on on a foam roller 
but that you can kind of roll around in a circular motion. Foam rollers, you kind of have to just go forward and backwards. With like a big softball underneath you, you can move it around a little bit more. Or the the nice part, the difference between like a lacrosse ball and a tennis ball is the give that the ball has. Even though they're essentially the same size, the tennis ball has a little bit more give, so it's not quite as uh, painful necessarily to roll in on it. But if you got a trigger point you're trying to release, yeah, it's going to be a little bit painful, but you do still want to be able to actually release it. Right. And to release it, you're going to want to, number one, find it. So you're going to kind of take a ball and kind of roll around on it, you know, try to find like a spot that hurts. Basically, you want to find that tight spot where you really feel some, some tightness and some pain. And then you're just going to want to let that spot relax onto the ball. You're going to do your best to just try to breathe through it and hold that spot on the ball for 60 to 90 seconds to try to let that tissue release. It is not comfortable, but it is really helpful. I, I've been having some some knee issues personally, and I rolled out my quads the other day and I was showing Kevin. It was basically like train tracks. It was just like, dun, 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 dun. like I just had a lot of tissue restrictions. And when those tissue restrictions come up you got you got to get rid of them you got to start you got to try to loosen up that tissue so that your tissue is nice and pliable again yeah i mean the muscles aren't going to work very well if you have a random tight spot in the middle you right. want the muscles to contract and relax as you take your running stride and you got a little like knot in the middle of it it's just not moving smoothly right so that's kind of what we've got for treatment. Now let's talk a little bit about returning to running. So this is going to kind of repeat a little bit of what we said with treatment, but we just want to continue to point it out because it is that important. So number one, go slowly. You know, make sure that you're not increasing your mileage by more than 10% per week. I know for a lot of people that seems really slow and really boring and they want to up their mileage quicker than that, but it just tends to lead to injury. So 10% per week or, you know, work with an experienced running coach that can kind of guide you in, in safe ways to progress your mileage. But you really, you have to get back into this slowly. That 10% that per week has been around for so long. It's just such a, like, an old adage of this is a, a nice way to progress. If you've been running for a long time, there are a few different plans you can do that are a little bit more aggressive and have been shown to not really be any more injury prone where you kind of hang out at a mileage for a few weeks and then you can make a a larger jump. You, you basically stay at the same mileage for like three to four weeks and then you make a good jump from there and hang out at that one for three to four weeks. It's, it's not something that I would recommend for like a new runner. It's something that I'd recommend for somebody who's been running for five, six, 10, 15 years. If you had to take a break and you're coming back from that, it's a way to get your mileage back up without taking forever to get your mileage back up. But your body kind of, it knows that. So it's really just trying to remind your body, hey, you used to be able to do this, let's let's get back into it. And you still have to pay such careful attention to little aches and pains and nags that show up. If you make that jump, you got to be careful like, oh, wait. I made that jump, my calves start acting up, I should pull back for a couple of days so that it doesn't create an injury where you have to pull back for a couple of weeks. Right. Um, the next one would be to check your shoes. We just talked about that extensively, so I'm not going to go crazy on that. Make sure that you're in the right shoes for you and that your shoes still have plenty of miles left on them and that you're not in need for new shoes. Number three would be 
try to avoid hills and very hard training surfaces at the beginning until you're kind of into it a little bit more. You know, sometimes it's hard to avoid the hard surfaces. I mean, we live in South Florida. There's not a ton of trails down here. Um, so a lot of our running are, is on the roads and sidewalks, and, and those are obviously harder surfaces. Sidewalks tend to be the hardest, you know, things that are made of cement. Asphalt is better. It's a little bit more forgiving than cement. So if you can run on, you know, the paved paths or roads, that tends to be a little bit less hard than the sidewalks. Right. But I've got something on that one also that is a very key thing to to point out. And I kind of meant, I meant to bring this up earlier. If you're, if you can choose between running on, on the shoulder of a road and running on the sidewalk, very often the shoulder of the road is a nice answer because it's a little bit softer because it's a paved surface. But if the road is super banked and your left foot is a whole heck of a lot higher than your right foot, like you're, it's the, the road leans too much. That causes a whole lot of issues with calves and, and hips and knees. That can cause a whole lot of problems. So then you're really debating between the benefit of slightly softer road versus the sidewalk that is at least flat. Yeah. So I, on that one, I tend to choose sidewalk, especially since we do a lot of our running really early in the morning before there's a lot of lights out. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I try and stay out of the street to begin with. Mm-hmm. That's why I like the the one loop that we have by our house, because instead of a sidewalk through the one neighborhood, it's actually just a paved path, right. which is fantastic. Which is made of the same material as the road. You know, that's an excellent point that you just um, made, because... When you're trying to think of what might have caused your shin splints in the first place, you should take a look at the surfaces that you're running on. And like Kevin said, if you have any sort of embankment on those surfaces, if the road is curved and you kind of run off to the side of the road where your foot is kind of at an angle, it's not landing flat, but it's a little bit on an angle, then that could definitely be putting you at at higher risk. So when you get back into running, make sure you take a look at your normal routes and and make sure that you're running on as flat a surfaces as you can, um, at least in the beginning until you kind of build up more of that strength. You know, if you're stuck and that's basically the the place that you can run as safe as possible, try and make sure that you're balancing the that you've got an out and back. So if, if on the way out your right foot is kind of a little bit lower, on the way back make sure that you're going with the same sort of curve of the road. Now your left foot is a little bit lower to help sort of balance your body out. Yeah. Absolutely. And finally, focus on building your calf strength and flexibility. So like we said, those calf lowers are excellent. And also the calf stretches, you're going to want to incorporate those into basically your daily routine because tight calves and weak calf muscles can really put runners at a higher risk for injury or for this injury in particular. All right. So I think that pretty much wraps up our, our shin splint episode. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, if you got something out of this, please consider heading over to realliferunners.com. Um, you could join the membership site where there's videos of the different exercises and stretches. Um, I know Angie's working on continuously adding these injury prevention programs to the site. Um, and you know, if you need guidance on coaching through the membership site, we will happily help you out and, and guide you back from whatever injury or hopefully coach you around whatever injury that it never comes up in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. 
Thank you guys so much for joining us today and spending this time with us. Like Kevin said, if you're interested in any of the injury prevention programs or exercise programs or coaching programs that we have, head on over to the website, realliferunners.com. Thank you for tuning in, and we will catch you guys next week.